You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark and Patrick, good afternoon. Caitlin is off today and she's on assignment, on assignment. (laughs) And, and, And we were supposed to have our newest team member, Towner French, join us, but that will have to wait because congratulations to to Towner and his wife, Erin, parents of a, of a baby boy born last night. And Mark, congratulations to you, grandparent of a baby girl born a week, a week ago. And in the next room, this is going to be our first podcast with a week-old baby in the studio. Will, will Chloe be making her debut? You may hear from Chloe. Okay. <laughs> well, I think you should exciting. ask her, Howard, about those culture wars we were we were just thinking about. Yep. So, guys, let's start here. Joint address this week to both houses of Congress, sort of, kind of. Um it was a little odd watching the speech with, um, you know, Congress, the the House so empty. Um, it was but, interesting to see who got invited, though. That that was a new dimension. Yeah, congressional joint addresses. So, Mark, what did what did you make of it? I mean, we know what you're going to say. Awesome, great speech. First 100 days, victory lap for Joe, COVID under control. So, Patrick, Patrick, go ahead. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. By the way, Howard, I agree with everything you just said. But what did you, what'd you make of it, Mark? Well, I thought it was long. Yeah, over I would, have, I would have encouraged the president to cut it a little shorter. I thought parts of it were a little tedious, but on balance, I thought it was a great presentation of what this president intends to do with his administration. I thought he stood up there and told the country exactly what's on his mind, exactly what he's trying to do, what he's proud to have already done, what still needs to be accomplished. I I thought it was a tremendous presentation of of the man and of the plan that he has for the country. Very ambitious, very progressive, very New Deal-like. And I, I think more so than a lot of people, myself, I admit included, thought uh, it, it would be 100 days in. Patrick. Yeah, the I mean, I, I think to start with kind of the style and the visual of everything. So a couple of things that stuck out. One, it was just it was strange. It was another reminder of the times we're living in uh, to see such a uh, sparse crowd in in uh, the House chamber. To see you know no guests and the boxes filled and all of that. To see all the members uh, wearing masks. It was just a visual that's a reminder that we're not we're not through this pandemic uh, yet. Um, the visual I, I found myself very moved by was that of Vice President Harris and Speaker Pelosi standing behind him. It doesn't seem like 
that long ago when President Bush commented that he was the first president to have the privilege of saying Madam Speaker. And that was 14 years ago, I think. So it and it was kind of neat that it was the same speaker uh, standing there to, to have that moment with the first female vice president. So that was just a, a cool moment to be celebrated. I agree. It was long. I, I commented to my wife at one point that it reminded me of, you know, if giving the inaugural was was sort of this was the moment Biden's been waiting for his whole life. Going back to Congress and as president for him was like going back to your high school as, you know, the most successful guy from your class. Like he relished the fact that he was with all these guys he served for, you know, with and he knew and you could tell he was just having a great, great time uh, being in that position, which he's, he's you know, uh, wanted for, for a very long time. So that part was just kind of entertaining and and fun. On the substance, I totally agree with Mark. I mean, ambitious uh, is an understatement. I mean, if you look at the totality of what's been proposed and what he spoke to in the speech, I mean, it is a huge, expansive, progressive agenda. And I found myself surprised somewhat even that that some of these things uh, would be said in a joint address to Congress that, uh, you know, even just in the last Democratic administration, President Obama had to be so careful about not making things sound a certain way or that they were going too far. We've just kind of moved past that. No and question. And and I think, Patrick, uh, part of it was Joe Biden standing in front of Congress, uh, his his old home, as you said, but but more importantly, standing in front of the country and viscerally, vocally, in, in words and music, confirming his faith in government. This is a president who believes in government, believes that government can do great things, believes that government yeah, should it's, govern. It's, it's all he's ever done. It, it, sure. Of course he believes sure. in government. I mean, look, but that, I like Joe Biden. I supported Joe Biden. I think he's the right man to, right person to, to unite the country in a lot of ways. But of course, I mean, his whole life is about government. Yeah, so, uh, that's, that's well, true. Yeah, but of course he, of course he thinks government is the answer to the world's problems because, because it's his life. But, but since Ronald Reagan, we have been living in a world where presidents, as Patrick said of Obama, where presidents were afraid to talk too much about what government could do, where where Republican presidents talked about what government shouldn't well, be doing. This nobody has stood up and talked like that since a uh, long time. Nobody's long time. been confronting a global pandemic and the worst economic crisis since right. the Great Depression. Yeah, Mark, you said LBJ. That's what it felt like. This was like a, like a 1960s Great Society yeah. speech. I mean, that's what, yeah. it, that's what it felt like. And, and I haven't heard that in my lifetime. So it was it was kind of stunning just taking all of the rhetoric and all of the proposals into, you know, fully recognizing much of it will not be achievable. 
you know, with these slim congressional majorities. But yeah, it was it was a big speech. Well, on that point, Patrick, he knows full well that that's the case. Sure. And part of what he's doing is giving red meat to the left to balance the fact that at the end of the day, he's not going to be able to deliver. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it was interesting watching, you know, kind of the different reactions of people on different, uh, different proposals you'd make. And you're right. That's the, the best thing he can do knowing he isn't going to be able to deliver is at least acknowledge things that the party cares about and our, our priorities, even if, you know, this isn't a, the, a joint address or a state of the union isn't as much a to-do list of things that have to get done as it is a, a expression of what the party cares about, you know, and what, what the, what the priorities should vision. be. And I, yeah, yeah vision. Um, I also, one thing is we're talking about speech, the hat tip to McConnell on the naming, uh, the law for his son, you know, having a little bit of class back and, and just a little, like that was really nice. And I don't care what people say. There's a lot of snarky people in our profession on the left and the right that don't like that stuff and they hate it. I think showing the country a version of government that acts the way we all want our children to act toward each other is is a good, positive thing. And I, I am the more of that, the better, in my view. Yeah. One one really interesting thing to me, Patrick, you and I were talking about this yesterday as we were outlining codes and currents for the week, our weekly, our weekly publication. Um is that Joe Biden is using competitiveness as a means of uniting the country. He is essentially, he's not trying to start another Cold War, but he's, as I said to you yesterday, Patrick, Trump was arguing for fairness and Biden is arguing for competitiveness. He's trying to unite the country around I guess, essentially China, competing with China, but maintaining our economic competitiveness. You know, in our in our jobs, um, and th- this is instructive for, for anybody listening who's thinking about influencing government, I always say that jobs are the greatest currency in politics. People talk about money in politics, but as, as I tell clients all the time, it's your jobs that matter far more than anything. Members of Congress, elected officials, city council people, whoever the heck they are, they want jobs for their constituents because jobs means money and that keeps them in, jobs means people are spending money and that keeps them in office. And Joe Biden's whole agenda including things like climate are is oriented around jobs and economic growth. And I just think that is so smart and they are being so smart about the messaging around everything they're doing, Mark. Like it's, it's it's, for a guy who's like the king of gaffes, the, the level of message discipline thus far, 101 days in, is just, it's stunning. It's very smart. And I think it, it is um, no accident, obviously, that they waited 100 days for the president to appear in front of Congress. 
so he could talk about things that he has already done. He is all about getting things done. And as you say, jobs, competitiveness are the core of the message. And he was able to stand up there as you recited for me when you began, Howard, and talk about COVID being under control and the economy improving and, and more. And I, I think that he is in the presidential zone. He is disciplined. He is a guy, he talked too much. It was too long. But, but he knew what he wanted to say. And, and I thought it was a, a very compelling message. I also think that while he knows he's not going to get all of that done, of course not, I think he intends to try. And I think he intends to get as much of it done as he possibly can. And, and I think a lot of that is, is going to happen. Whether it happens with 10 Republicans in the Senate or not remains to be seen. That's, that is the, the big open question about the Biden agenda. But he's working hard to get 50 Democrats behind. Yeah, and I think Howard, uh, I just think, nailed it with the point on competitiveness and, and fairness and how that's how they're framing it. And I do think it's smart on issues like climate. It is a political loser if you're telling people to do this stuff because it's the right thing to do or it's the moral thing to do or it's the right thing to do for your children. People hate being lectured to by government about what is the correct. You, you need to tell them why it's good for them and their their livelihood and their communities. And, and uh, clearly that's what he's doing. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think it's it's really smart on the issue to Mark's point on, you know, trying to get it all done something else we talked about Howard yesterday was he is not afraid of these midterm elections one bit and the, <laughs> and it's freeing him up to pursue as much as they possibly can because everyone's kind of already written the Democrats off every everything you hear is we're going to lose the house uh certainly we'll probably lose the Senate too and so if that's your base case then then the, the the only alternative is that they can outperform and do and do better than people expect. And and so I just think as opposed to President Obama in 2010, um, which obviously he achieved a great deal, too. But there were midterm politics as you got further down the line in 2010 and, and then President Clinton uh, in 1993, 1994. You know, they had large, substantial majorities, much larger than uh, than President Biden has now. But. President Biden is acting like someone who's got a 70 seat majority. He's like, we are going to we are going to go. But part of that, Patrick, I think, is that he believes and then to the degree you believe in polling, the data is there. He believes that the things he is talking about doing are things that the country wants done. He believes that the majority of Americans are in favor of these programs. He knows the majority of Republicans are not. He knows that no Republicans well, in the Senate may be in favor of some of this. But I think he is talking to the country, and I think he believes that what he is doing is what the country wants done. Well, because the country cares about what's in their wallets. Right. And right. by the way, as I have said before, <laughs> it, 
It's easy to be popular when you're throwing six trillion dollars around in your first 100 days, which well, is sure insane. I mean, think about that. It's well, insane. But has, but he's yeah, he's making he all of it yet. No, but and he's he got to pay for the next four million. But, but the point is, we are talking about six trillion dollars. I mean, it's it's. It, and we're all we're almost numb to it. It's insane. But I think he's making one clear choice. I just think it, it's so smart because the Republicans are out there continuing to beat the cult, the the culture war right. drum, and he's saying you can do that all you want. What Joe Sixpack cares about is whether he can put food on the table. And what Mary frontline worker cares about is whether she has health care and can feed her kids. And, 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 and that's, and he's, he's, it, you know, his, he had his line in the campaign. We're not a blue America and red America. We're the United States of America. Damn it. But he's what he he's, he's trying to be more subtle now. And and using jobs, using the economy, using six trillion dollars to unite the country, and it's smart. I also think the competitiveness thing, to your point, Howard. I think he believes, in addition to it validating his his legislative agenda, I think he thinks that can help unite the country too. You know, I, I think this all of this putting the country back together. You know, trying to trying to bring us back to where you know, we kind of at least at minimum, maybe understand each other a little more. He believes that. And we saw that in the campaign, you know, all of this political division and hate, it's not good for Republicans. It's not good for Democrats. It's great for China and it's great for Russia. And I think he knows that. And I think that if we can unite the country around common threats abroad, uh, that isn't just the war on terrorism, that that's something bigger. That is, that is these large countries that are, that are hopeful that they will surpass us uh, in this century. That that is something that could unite uh, enough of the country uh, around you know common principles. So so speaking of uh, things abroad, um, <laughs> it, it, the world is looking a little dicey these days. I mean, you got Russia saber rattling on the border with Ukraine. Um, you know, continued challenges out of China. Yeah, how about it's, India? India just being ravaged by well, the pandemic. Right. It's just unbelievable, right. these numbers. And Iran is rebuilding its nuclear program. It, it's a scary world out there. But at least we are re-engaged in the scary world. He has made it very clear that uh, – that the America first foreign policy of the last administration is over and that he intends to re-engage this country in the world. That doesn't alone, Howard, solve any of those problems. But I, I think the country is ready to be to be back on the world stage. It's all of a piece, the competitiveness, not letting China dominate the the century, reasserting the importance and and the 
strength of the United States of America in, in the world is something that he believes in and that I think he believes is politically popular again. Again, I just, I, I thought it was extraordinary that even though he was standing there in front of Congress and that even though, as Patrick said, he had the class and, and the political smarts to thank Mitch McConnell for something very personal to him, he was talking to the country. He is counting on the country, backing him up, influencing Congress. He knows he can't sit down one-on-one -on -one with all the Republicans in the Senate and find 10 of them to agree. He's counting on the country communicating back to Washington that, that people want these things. You know, it, I think some of this is age. When I was in government, the people, the appointees that were the most effective were the people who didn't need anything when they left. Like, I always have said that Hank Paulson, the reason yeah. he was such a great leader during the financial crisis was that he didn't need anything. He didn't, like, take it or leave it. Like, he's going to make the best decisions he knew how. He had you-know-what money. He didn't need to turn around and make a living off of having been Treasury Secretary. It was kind of the icing on the cake, and he could just do the right thing. And and I could give you other examples from my time in government of people who were just doing it for, for the right reasons. And I, I feel like Biden being the age he is, like who knows whether he's running for a second term. Um, probably. Well, yeah, he says he is. Right. But who know who knows well, like, where we're gonna be in two years? Who knows? Right. But it's almost like you elected me because I was the only one that could beat Trump, which he was he was the only one that could beat Trump. Right. The only and one by a lot. And and it's like, I'm going to do what I think is right. And I mean, obviously he cares about his legacy. I don't want to overstate the point, but, and he cares about politics and he cares about the future of the party in the next term and all that. I, again, I don't want to overstate the point, but on some level, he's like, I'm going to be really smart. I'm going to learn from having watched Obama's mistakes and Patrick, as you pointed out, Trump's mistakes. And, and I'm, I'm going to be really smart and I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm playing yeah. with a thin majority and the chips will fall where they may. It's awfully refreshing. It's refreshing. Yeah. 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 I think though, absolutely all true and, and absolutely part of what you see when he stands up there but I have to say, having known the man for 40 years and and having always respected him as a as a centrist, as somebody who was trying to walk down the middle of the road and and include everybody, it it is it is damn interesting how big and how bold he is going with it's these COVID. programs. It's COVID. 
COVID's it, cover for everything. It, it, but it, it is in part, I think, what it's, you were saying just now. Guys, it's like in every one of our client engagements, literally probably every single client we have, we are in some way tying our message to COVID. Right. In some way. Right. It's well, the we same are doing thing. that because that's the priority of the president. Right. And it's, and it As gives it him a and lot of, it gives him a lot of cover. It's giving him tremendous cover to do things that he couldn't otherwise do. I agree. Yeah, I that's agree. true. Uh, th- yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone could refute that. I mean, it's just, it's just the nature of the times we live in that the country is so distracted by all of the different things they're experiencing in their personal and professional lives. And uh, it is an opportunity for him. Um, Look, (laughs) I know I'm going to hear about project warp speed as soon as I'm done speaking, Howard, but he has done what he said he would do. And then some by a mile on COVID And obviously, the vaccine began before even the Trump administration. But but it is stunning how how quickly during the Biden administration, whether it's cause and effect or not, and to a degree, I think it is. It's stunning how far we've come in these hundred days. This country is reopening safely. in, in a bigger hurry than I'm in the mood for. Well, <laughs> well you're not going to hear about warp speed, Mark, because Pfizer didn't participate right. in Operation Warp Speed or didn't take the path that the other drug companies took. But what you are going to hear about is the private sector. And absolutely, that is, that's the point. You kind of stepped into that because it's not about... Government can't always solve the world's problems. Pfizer, which I I guess Pfizer and Moderna are equally successful in this whole nonsensical thing we're living through. But Pfizer, the private sector, without the government, solved the world's problems. Yeah, or, or how did we how did we survive the pandemic? Just in a practical sense, Amazon. Like, Amazon. <laughs> I mean, it was right. yeah. It's. I mean, what would we have done without it? Yeah. So I knew exactly what you were going to say. You did. You nailed it. Yeah. And 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 that's part of the point, Mark, is the government, you can, t- like, $6 trillion of government funding. There are plenty of problems that government needs to solve, but it can't solve them forever. Well, and fair enough, except that. We, we all know no internet, no Amazon. We all know no government, no internet. We all know no research, no vaccine, no Pfizer. We all know no government, no research. It, it isn't as simple as government can solve the world's problems. It certainly isn't as simple as the private sector will take care of everything, just leave them alone. Right. We are, we are witnessing the partnership of government and private sector over decades which, which has dug us out of this COVID hole that we're in. And, and I think one of the things that you've heard, maybe it, it didn't register with everyone, but one of the things that I thought 
was most exciting and extraordinary in his speech is he's proposing for healthcare the kind of uh, DARPA agency, the research agency that has existed for decades for defense, because he understands. He understands that you got to put government money into this research so the private sector can then take the learning, take the science, and turn it into Amazon, turn it into Pfizer, turn it into success. Yep. Well, I'm going to let you have the last word, Mark, since you're since you're a grandfather for the fourth time, you can have the last that. word. But here's here's the last word I would like to have in addition. You're going to gonna be paying speech. for a lot of weddings, by the way, the way at the rate you're going. <laughs> Four granddaughters couldn't couldn't be happier. Raining girls. But but speaking of women, as Patrick said, the visual of the speaker and the vice president standing behind President Biden was historic, but but so is the fact that they both come from the same city. Yeah. How, just how coincidental. I know there's a moral Howard in that story. Maybe you'll you'll find it for us. But two women from San Francisco sitting behind the president at that address, stunning. Yeah, I was sitting as I was thinking about it, too, just because, you know, like all of us, I love talking politics and government with my spouse, and she taught it for years. And I was saying if Lucy, our daughter, was a little older, I would love to point to the two women on the screen and knowing she would probably know who the one on the left was, because everyone knows who the president and the vice president are. But to ask her which of those two women is more powerful uh, and explain to her, the yeah. tremendous power that Nancy yeah. Pelosi had. Yeah. And just, it just, you know, it, it was just a, it was a cool moment for the country. Well, you're going to have to ask her when she'll actually understand Patrick in four years, Howard says Biden's not running. So Kamala is the presumptive uh, nominee. Mark, I'll get Lucy reading the, the Robert Caro books on power. I'll get her started <laughs> hopefully around first grade. Yeah. Beautiful. That's the last word. All right. There we go. Guys, enjoyed it as always, and we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.